Welcome, everyone, to our Sunday service. A special welcome to our guests, both at the Expanding Light and at our meditation retreat. And another welcome to those watching on the Internet. My name is Nayaswami Pranava, and this is Nayaswami Parvati. That's always the hardest part to remember. So. <laughs> this reading is taken from Rays of the One Light, which is a book written by Swami Kriyananda with commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. Today's topic is, is God present even there where there is ignorance? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. The Gospel of St. John, chapter 1, makes a reference to the divine light that is obscure to the rational faculty, but that enlightens our higher nature. The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Reason recoils from the statement with innumerable questions. What is this darkness? Is it conscious that it should, be comp- that it should comprehend anything? What sort of light would be capable of shining in darkness without transforming at least that part of the darkness in which it shines into light? Does this light shine only at night? And if so, why only then? The solution is that in div- to divine sight, even daylight seems darkness. The sun itself, like the moon, which shines only by reflected light from the sun, is but a kind of reflection of the cosmic light, which being immaterial, is invisible to the eyes, but which is the great source of all material reality. In Autobiography of a Yogi, Paramahansa Yogananda describes his youthful visit to Ram Gopal Mozamdar, the sleepless saint, who lived in the vision of that hidden light. Yogananda wrote, Around midnight, Ram Gopal fell into silence, and I lay down on my blankets. Closing my eyes, I saw flashes of lightning. The vast space within me was a chamber of molten light. I opened my eyes, and observed the same dazzling radiance. The room became a part of the infinite vault which I beheld with interior vision. Why don't you go to sleep? Sir, how can I sleep in the presence of lightning, blazing whether my eyes are shut or open? You are blessed to have this experience. The spiritual radiations are not easily seen. The saint added a few words of affection. This is the light that shineth in darkness. It has been described variously in the great scriptures. In the Bhagavad Gita, in the 11th chapter, the devotee, Arjuna, is given an experience of the infinite state and exclaims in awe, If there should rise suddenly within the skies sunburst of a thousand suns, flooding earth with beams undeemed of, then might that holy one's majesty and radiance dreamed of. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh, oh, oh. I also would like to welcome everyone. I'll begin by reading from Whispers from Eternity. Demand to the Holy Trinity, 
O Heavenly Trinity, Om Tat Sat, God the Transcendent Father, God the Immanent Christ Consciousness, and God the Holy Creative Vibratory Force of all creation, grant me the wisdom to know thy truth through my self-effort and my knowing acceptance of the law. Help me up the golden ladder of realization to stand at last on the shining summit of attainment, face to face with the one spirit, perfect, everlasting bliss. So the light shining in darkness is... uh, a little bit obscure, if you pardon the pun. <laughs> but uh, um, this topic is an interesting one. Um, I was remembering many years ago, uh, we had a very special occasion happen, and I'd like to share it with you. It didn't happen here at Ananda, but Swami Kriyananda was there, and a big group of us were there as well. Um, It was this time of year, January 1978, and about 70 of us went to hear a man speak in town, Richard Wormbrandt. And he was speaking at the uh, uh, North Star Christian Academy, I think, anyway, a school in town. And someone had arranged, they were, uh, it was a a big event for them, his coming. And so they had, they served a, a free meal, a dinner, and it was very sweet, and we arranged ahead of time, but I was looking at my right, I made notes after this event because it was so astounding and electrifying, but, um, but we made arrangements ahead of time, and so we went, and Swami had started speaking about Richard Wormbrandt, um, who was a Lutheran minister, born Jewish, but became a Lutheran minister, Christian. And he had started speaking about him in like the 1970s, late 1970s. I think he had uh, met him in Switzerland, heard him speak there. And uh, then he was telling us about him. He had had a a very difficult life. He was born in Romania and born Jewish and converted to Christianity, became a Lutheran minister. And he, he said jokingly, I was persecuted by the Nazis for being Jewish, and then they left and the communists came, and I was persecuted by them for being Christian. <laughs> but anyway, he was uh, by the communists put in uh, prison, and it was a very cruel uh, situation. And he was in solitary confinement, I believe, for 14 years. And this was a solitary confinement. He said he was underground 30 feet in a cell with no sunlight, no birds, no, no human contact. And the, the uh, guards wore felt soles on their shoes. So there was absolute silence. And the idea was to drive people crazy. But Richard Wormbrandt, he said Richard is uh, known in Christianity as the Lionhearted. And uh, he was a real uh, warrior for God and loved God very, very deeply. So I'm sure through uh, a lot of trials, he um, ended up in this cell alone. And 
to him and this was what he shared with us that night I'll, I'll paint the picture a little bit more before I get more into it but basically he, uh, he heard a beautiful incredible sound in that silence but to back up a little bit so we came to this dinner we, Swami was wanting to meet him I don't think he had spoken with Richard Wormbrat before so at any rate he met him before um, the meal and Richard Wormbrandt just looked at him and uh, he said, Swami said, we're from a, Ananda and he said, do you know what that means? And he said his face got dark and he said, yes. And then he said, do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And Swami said, yes. And, uh, and then he made some other comments and then he got on to, um, uh, he was very dynamic very lover of god but very dynamic from all of his experiences and then he said uh, what do you think of hitler was he an evil man and swami said he was a man who did evil but he was a man and then unfortunately richard Wormbrandt was called away he was a very, he was very busy and um, just before the talk and dinner and all of that so he was called away and then um, uh, during the meal he appeared he was just going around saying hello to people and he appeared in the room where we were Swami immediately was on his feet with just great childlike joy and went up to greet him and he didn't have time he said well we'll talk later I just wanted to say hello to all of you and then um, because of that conversation ahead of time Swami told us the next day he said I wasn't sure whether he would lambast us during his talk or what would happen there. But uh, again, to paint the picture for you, we went into where he would speak and it was divided in two because there were so many people there. And he stood like where I am and we from Ananda with Swami were all seated in, in front of him. Behind him were the overflow, all of the Christians who had come to to see him. It just worked out that way. And so um, there he was, and I happened to be sitting right behind Swami, just off to one side a little bit, so I could see Richard Wormbrandt, and yet I was right behind Swami. And he started, I had seen him the year before in Chico, and he was basically usually just trying to energize the Christians to realize um, the depth that they needed to be uh, engaging in their spiritual life with. And so he spoke very harshly and, you know, just challenged people and all of that. Well, he started to do that a little bit this evening. And then he quickly got into talking about what I had described to you, that he was in... Uh, solitary confinement, 30 30 feet underground, all of that. And then he said, but in that silence, there was a sound that was so incredibly beautiful. And, And we're all sitting there going. And at this point, and he was talking directly to Swami when he was saying this. And he would start to veer off into a little bit of, you know, scolding, and and then he'd get right back into much deeper things. 
And the next part that he mentioned two or three times during his talk was he said, we must get rid of the eye. We, we must get rid of the eye. And he said, because when we get rid of the eye, then Christ can come in. And we, Christ becomes us and we become him. And again, we're sitting there thinking, this is not a Christian talking. But, but from his direct, deep experience, it was electrifying just to be in that room. And again, he was talking really directly to Swami, but all of us there, were we were not going, what is he, you know, mentally, what is he doing? And what we were going, wow, wow, this is amazing. And then he said, um, and he was, it was as though he were reliving all of this. It was so dynamic and thrilling. And then he said, there is a man who has been in that prison for 45 years. He could be free today. All he has to do is say three words, I deny Christ. But he doesn't say that. He loves Christ. And not only does he love him, he's becoming him. He's become him. So who is to deny who? There's nobody there to deny. And again, he was so engaged in all of this. It was just incredibly thrilling. And then at the very end, he, he kind of came out of that and he looked at all of us and he looked at Swami and he said, I know you're from a local commune. And he said, um, uh, I look at all of you and he said, I see that all of your women are beautiful. Is it a requirement that they be beautiful? <laughs> and Swami from the audience said, no, they become so. Yeah. And, and that was pretty much the end. And unfortunately, I don't think Swami ever had a chance to connect with him after that. But far from lambasting us, he gave probably one of the deepest talks he'd ever given in his life to all of us. But again, that idea that can light live in the darkness and ignorance? Well, he was living proof of that, he and his wife both. And it was just absolutely thrilling and electrifying to be there and to feel his energy. We're not talking Christian and yoga and all of that. We're just talking direct perception of God. The other um, story that I'd like to share with you just briefly is uh, from that wonderful book, Proof of Heaven. And uh, if you haven't read it, I recommend it. Written by a neurosurgeon, neuroscientist and surgeon, Dr. Eben Alexander. And he had this extremely unusual thing happen to him where he was in a, he had a, a disease that was unknown, uh, bacterial meningitis of some sort that put him in a coma for seven days and then he just came out of it. <laughs> but during that time, they thought, I mean, he should have either died or become a vegetable if he came back. You know, no quality of life. But he, um, in his time away, which is what happened, out of his body and in higher realms, he visited the astral world and he visited really the core of the entire universe. 
And he said it was as though he didn't understand, he didn't have a self-perception during this time, but uh, he finally realized that he was being given the grand tour. You know, so he was in a lower astral realm and then went into a higher astral realm and then went into beyond that. And, uh, but he said, for all that I saw, and he describes it all, it's very fun to read and just kind of, wow, you know, amazing uh, what he experienced. But he said, that really was all secondary to what was the lesson that I came away with. And he said, if I had three words to describe it, I I would say, you are loved. That was a big thing for him. He he didn't, he had a a kind of a, a need there. But you are loved. And he was speaking universally about everyone. And then he said, if I had to boil that down to one word, it would be love. Love is what supports and is part of the entire universe, many universes. Any universe you want to have, love is at the heart of it. It's what holds it all together. And uh, he said, today, he said, we're at a very important point in our evolution. And uh, he said, it seems as though to some people science and spirituality are totally separate. But he said, from my experience, direct experience, they are not. That is absolutely wrong. And he said, really, even in the scientific world, there's only a few strong voices that represent the, what he called the materialistic worldview. And he said, when you are in that, that way of seeing things, you can't see the light. He said for him, being a neuroscientist, he said, it's the left side of the brain mainly, and it represents rationality. And the more sharply, this is he, his words, the more sharply defined sense of self, the ego. And he said, from those two things, they block us from being able to see the light. And we have to raise our consciousness to be able to see the light. We have to go beyond that physical, material reality and realm. So, but that was very interesting. It totally transformed his life, having that experience. And he came out of it knowing that his dharma, his duty from now on, is to represent that higher uh, aspect of reality, love, and that there are higher realms beyond only the material. And he said very sweetly, he said, after I first came out of my coma and wanted to share all that I had learned, I just thought, wow, everybody, all of my friends who were scientists and doctors, would really want to know about this. And he said, they didn't. <laughs> It was very sweet. And again, he understood. I mean, he was just excited because this had been a life-changing event. But he said, 
as I go along, what I see is that that materialistic worldview is what's on the line. And he said, I, I, because his book was very interesting, I wanted to uh, hear him speak. And so I went on YouTube. There's some good talks. Anyway, I found a very interesting talk that he had given, 50 minutes long. And I, after listening to it, I thought, wow, he is really the person to represent the higher realm in a way that people who are more materially oriented can understand. But he feels that that's his dharma now to go out and do that. And you know, again, does the light shine in darkness? The light shines, but the darkness can't comprehend it. It really can't. And you have to raise your consciousness before you can begin to understand that there is another reality. So that is a a real thing. That has to happen. But you know, when you go out, and when we all can go out, Ananda goes out, Ibn Alexander goes out, Master went out in America, you're spreading seeds of light. Because we never know what people have the karma to be ready to take up that seed of light and to really grow with it. So it's something that uh, we all need to also be very aware of in our own individual lives is that each of us represents that light very dynamically. And when you go out, remember that. Always represent the light. Always live in that light and be in that light to help other people. People are struggling. It's not easy out there. And, uh, and just meeting one other person who really is living in the light can be a life-transforming experience. I wanted to uh, close and talk just a little bit about Master. Because Master was the great light of God. And he hit America in 1920 and went full blast for 32 years. But in The Flawless Mirror, Kamala's beautiful book, um, I wanted to just read a little bit because she has a chapter in there that I've always really enjoyed called Yoga Sweeps the Nation. And this is up talking about Master. Now, she met Master in 1925 at the Philharmonic in Los Angeles. She and her mother, her mother was a doctor, and she was 17 years old. But she captures just the spirit of what happened when Master came to America and really, um, really uh, was out. Let me find this here. Okay. It's just a few uh, uh, paragraphs. It is difficult to convey the immense scope of Master's activities that commenced with his first cross-country lecture tour in 1924 and continued through the following years. Citizens of all professions endorsed his message. Educators, lawyers, ministers, judges, editors, congressmen, and businessmen He was invited to speak at universities, clubs, and churches of many denominations. He was guest of honor at banquets in many cities. This was all in addition to his scheduled lectures and classes. 
And then she goes on to give a little glimpse of what the nationwide part was about. Never before has the national capital, Washington, D.C., had such an outpouring of spiritual blessings spread over all creed lines. And these were some of the quotations from the newspapers of the time. In Washington, D.C., crowds are flocking to hear Swami Yogananda distinguished East Indian savant who is delivering a remarkable series of 12 public lectures at Washington Auditorium until the capacity of the auditorium, 6,000, is now being taxed to its uttermost. Swami has broken all records for sustained interest. He has aroused in the thousands who have heard him speak. And that was in Washington and in Detroit. He has no creed in the manner of the sectarian. He has modernized some of the most sacred practices of India. He is, is an ardent advocate of world peace and human brotherhood. And the last one, the Los Angeles Times wrote of Yogananda, a Hindu invading the United States to bring God in the midst of a Christian community preaching the essence of Christian doctrine. So I wanted to read that because it gives the spirit, captures the spirit of what happened when Yogananda came to America. And he was a great light of God. He really opened the way for that light to come into America. And so that light shining in darkness, because America was very materialistic in the 1920s. It was the Roaring Twenties. And uh, then flipped into the Depression after that, of course, and then a war, and you know, on and on it goes. But um, he really sowed incredible seeds throughout the entire country and uh, went to all of the major cities in the United States. So for all of us, what does that mean for us? Well, we have to... Uh, you know, the light shining in darkness for us personally means our individual darkness. And so it's up to us to really work with that every day. And these are not things that we're unfamiliar with. We all know this. But somehow I just want to share this because it struck me recently, again, if we keep in touch with the teachings, we use them every day, they come back again and again to support us. And I was thinking about something, some problem that I had, and and I thought, you know, solve all your problems through Kriya Yoga. And, And it's really, take that to heart as we begin this new year where we may feel like we have a lot of problems this year, I don't know. <laughs> maybe more than usual, maybe not. But Kriya Yoga takes you into the spine immediately. It is so very powerful and can really help in just solving those problems that can just nag, nag, and chip away at our, our consciousness, our happiness. But really, don't go there. Go to Kriya Yoga, and secondly, make that practice regular. Really focus this year on regularizing your practices, your sadhana, 
You know, we get up at the same time every morning, pretty much all the time, because once you get in the habit of getting up at a certain time, you may want to sleep in, but it doesn't happen. <laughs> you just wake up <laughs> again and again. And whatever, however that works for you, really try to regularize because that regularity will be there for you when the inevitable darkness and light, darkness and light, problems happen, emotions come, feelings, higher feelings, whatever, it'll even that out and help you to stay regular. You know, Swami had that interesting phrase in the How to the Secrets of Meditation book. He said, the more you meditate, the more you will find meditation attractive. But the less you meditate, the less you will want to meditate. Simple as that. So don't let go of it. Keep it always regular there. No matter how you feel, just meditate anyway. <laughs> you know, don't worry about, do I feel like it? Or, oh, maybe I'm not good, you know, I can't really meditate. Do it anyway. Just do it anyway. Regularize that practice. And then the last thing is to really uh, court in your life the satsang that is necessary and will really come in behind that self-effort and support it all. And that satsang means of friends, of the music that Swami wrote, of the teachings, of your environment. Make it sattvic. Make it what you can really draw on that will remind you when you walk into your home, oh, meditation, that's right. You know, that will really be there for you. And remember that Master's great grace and incredible power, the light that he brought, incredibly powerful, that that will be there for all of us to really support us in those efforts and to allow us to access that light and to live more and more in that light.